Hi, Dr. Rosnani and Dr. Suhaila. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to have you. So before we get into the conversations, why don't you say a few words about yourself? Dr. Rosnani, can you go first? Okay. Uh, well, I'm a Malaysian in the mid-60s, a Muslim, and I was yes, educated for all my bachelor, master's, and PhD in uh, mathematics education curriculum and social foundation. Um, I taught in secondary school for seven years before joining the Faculty of Education in the International Islamic University, Malaysia, since 1987, where I taught mathematics education, then history, sociology, and philosophy of education, curriculum and issues in education. I'm, re I'm retired already in 2019. And I'm presently the adjunct professor, so I think there's uh, and then and then I started uh, doing a Hikmah pedagogy of philosophy for children in 1998. Thank you for telling us about your experiences. We're looking forward to talking about Hikmah pedagogy and philosophy for children program that you've been doing. Uh, so, Dr. Suhaila, can you also briefly introduce yourself to the audience? Um, yes, um, I'm a Malaysian also, Malay, Malaysian, Muslim, Malaysian. Um, I studied um, for my degree, my master's and my diploma in education at uh, International Islamic University. Um, it was after my diploma, I think during my diploma that Prof. Rosnani approached me all right, and invited me to join the department. It was then back the Department um, of Education. And so um, I joined then, it was 1997, about that time. Um, and I did my master's um, in the same department of education and finally did my PhD at University of Sheffield. When I did was, was my, uh, my master's, I was under professional supervision. And I did a, a study on um, um, to investigate uh, the Malaysian secondary school teachers' perceptions and the practices of uh, teaching critical thinking and creative thinking because we have um, that one manual on the critical and creative thinking skills course and teachers are expected to integrate them in their teaching across all subjects. So I did it under the supervision of Prof. Nani then. And then I continued uh, for my PhD, I did uh, critical pedagogy which is also related to um, critical thinking in that sense. Um, now I'm attached to the um, kuliah Okay, I'm still attached to the kuliah. Professor Nani has retired, but she's still our adjunct professor. She's very much involved. Um, I also had the chance to be to lead um, to manage the the center for teaching thinking, which was actually Professor Nani Brandchild. Um, it's under the kuliah of education at our university, um, and until now, she's very much involved. Um, I am no longer the director. Uh, but uh, we still uh, um, we are actually involved in the Hikmah pedagogy program that she has actually developed. So basically, that's the background of myself. Thank you so much. So, so I'm also curious about how you came to develop this program. Like we know that Hikmah is the Islamic concept of wisdom. So how do you um, came to develop this program to teach your wisdom? My interest in this. Uh... Uh, philosophical inquiry again uh, grew because I was teaching philosophy of education basically and I was interested in uh, I saw that philosophy 
give rise to wise people. Okay, so I thought that there must be something in philosophy. So, uh, one of the reason for me to enter into this territory is because I saw students coming into the faculty, into the kuliah of faculty. Okay, and they know the Quranic verses. They even graduated from Al Azhar University in Egypt. Yeah. Because at that point of time, when we have the postgraduate diploma, we have students coming from American graduates, we have the Middle East graduates, and we have the Malaysian graduates. So the Middle East graduates, they, they knew a lot about the Quran, they memorized the Quran, but then I, I realized that they are not able to make sense of the meaning of the Quran. Uh, to give one example, uh, I have an experience where one of the student leader was from Raza. He proposed that why don't all the the female students wear the same uniform head cover, you know. So I thought, uh, in Islam, there should be freedom in how you you want to to cover yourself. So that just shows that uh, <clears throat> the the mentality, you know, that everyone must be the same, and what they want is a very long one, which is according to them the best. Okay. So this is uh, one reason the student that I was meeting. Uh, I think they they have they need more meaningful learning, and then I also saw the students uh, adopting a closing mind. As I grew on in the university, there is a closing of the Muslim mind and poor understanding of Islam, and then uh, it's happening in the whole Islamic world, as you can see. Okay, and uh, fourth fourth reason was because uh, I also noticed that the relationship between Malaysians, which which are of different ethnic groups and faith, okay. There's also growing polarization. In the early days, during my younger days, we were very close. But then, as we as we goes into the as we go into the 90s and and towards a new century again, mm-hmm. we're getting more polarized instead of getting uh, uh, better. You know? So I thought that uh, uh, there should be a way to foster and overcome all of this. And I realized that. Uh, uh, the philosophical inquiry has a good method of dialogue, you know, and deliberation that can help in terms of conflict resolution and so on. So I was uh, plus also in the Islamic uh, Islamic uh, tradition, there is also a tradition of philosophy in our early days, you know, and and we were emerging as the, uh, the foreigners in science and and technology then, okay. In the 12th, 11th, 12th century, until we abandoned philosophy and then we declined. So I thought that there must be a reason. Plus, uh, I also read the work of other great scholars who were reformists, like um, uh, Jamaluddin Afghani, you know, in uh, in in the Middle East, and with Abdul, and they were calling for the re- revival, and even Sayyid Nas in the States, a revival of uh, philosophy in the Islamic tradition. So that was the thing that drew me there into this. Every educational program has a target. So what do you think that the program is advocating for wisdom is trying to do? Um, I agree that there must be a target. So our target is to produce wise students uh, who can make good judgment. That is the the a, a global target. Okay, And also to have Malaysians living in harmony and uh, learn to resolve differences through dialogue, you know. And uh, Muslim in particular, I want them to sort of reflect and uh, on the Quran because they read the Quran but they don't reflect. 
So we want them to read with reflection rather than just reading, uh, uh, you know, for for blessings. Okay, <laughs> because it it is a guidance, and you can, if you cannot understand what you read, then it cannot be a guidance for you. Okay, and then also, and it's in Arabic, so definitely they have to at least read the interpretation and understand it. Or in, if they know Arabic, they can interpret it. Okay, and I prefer for them to have reason for their beliefs and actions. Rather than just imitating, so that was uh, what uh, was the long term uh, uh, target on my part. Okay, but of course, operationally, operationally, the target is to meet the uh, ability to to have competency in the, I would say the five Cs. That is critical thinking, creative thinking, uh, caring or ethical thinking, communication skills, and collaborative skills. So those those are the the things that we want to see in them in terms of operationally, immediately, and then uh, plus open-mindedness and to exercise good judgment in everything they do and with whoever they interact. So basically that are uh, the targets that I have uh, when I thought of the Hikmah pedagogy. Those are really great things to expect. So how would, you, this, how would the students demonstrate these changes in terms of the curriculum? Well, uh, if if they if they were what they call this, uh, they have gone through this program. Okay, I, I would see that there are long term and short term uh, changes. Okay, uh, for me, the changes that I expected to observe, I expect to observe is they have more self confidence when they uh, speak and when they view their opinion, their ideas. They have more second confidence to do that, and then uh, they have a positive attitude toward thinking, although thinking is hard, but they enjoy thinking. Okay, and uh, they improve their communication skills. They can speak well, articulate articulate their ideas well and the arguments as well. Uh, they will have uh, be able to work collaboratively with other people. Okay, and. Uh, to develop their own personal and interpersonal skills, to appreciate dialogue, enjoy learning, like to search for meaning, have good questions, lots of questions, <laughs> and uh, reflect upon, the, uh, if they are Muslim, they will reflect upon the, the Quran and the tradition of the Prophet and wonder about the universe, wonder about the universe and God's creations. So mm-hmm. this is very qualitative, you say, but but you can see from your interaction with them. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to measure. <laughs> You're talking about measurement, but uh, we expect to see the qualitative uh, difference when we speak and interact with them. Um, are this supposed to be long-term outcomes? Ah, long-term. But if, in terms of the immediate, uh, if you talk about three months, it's very difficult. Uh, to see these changes in students mm-hmm. after three months because it's too short, okay? But you can see the, the seeds of the five Cs. You can see the seeds uh, is beginning to emerge after three months. But I think uh, the teachers are uh, are some uh, the elements that you can see the, the differences. For example, uh, the teachers after staying there I mean, because you you prepared them before the program, and at the end of the program, even if it's three months, 
to be able to see that they will change their way of teaching. If before they are very subject or teacher-centered, if they employ this pedagogy, they become more student or learner-centered and even community-centered. Uh, uh, they will learn to control themselves from taking charge. <laughs> this is the thing that teachers find difficult. Because every time students ask a question, they want to answer immediately, you know. Mm. But once they go through this program, they learn to, uh, uh, what do you call this, uh, stop themselves from immediately uh, answering and giving it to other students to give responses. So this is uh, one of the changes that you can see. Uh, they become less uh, subject or teacher-centered. They also change their attitudes to a student's ability. Because they, they felt that ability is just cognitive, you know, and academic. But by doing this method, uh, we encourage them to listen to every student, you know, because every student has his own views. And uh, they will realize that some students have good views, although they are not, uh, uh, they were very shy before this or they don't speak before this. So they see that they, they learn the attitudes towards uh, uh, students' ability. And uh, those those are the immediate uh, immediate changes. But those who applied it for a few months, uh, you can see that it changed the understanding of teaching and learning. That is uh, long term. So maybe after six months or a year, then you see greater greater changes, greater changes uh, in terms of the depth, greater competence and more meaningful learning. So I think uh, this is what I've observed, and. Uh, uh, students also enjoy the lesson because previously, prior to this, they don't have the opportunity to speak. Mm -hmm. So they were just listeners. But with this uh, pedagogy, yeah, I think Suhaila want to add. <laughs> mm, I think basically, um, I share similar views with Prof. Nani. Um, I think when we, I mean, in my, when I was doing my master's, it was then that I read about philosophy for children program. And when I was researching of all the thinking programs, uh, P4C stood out because it's not technical way of teaching like um, other programs, right? Um, and another thing is that uh, I feel that this is the same point that I think Professor Sunny has uh, many times mentioned that it is it's a natural way of um, thinking actually when you do it with philosophy for children program. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, when I when I did uh, my my bachelor degree, I did it. I did philosophy for my degree. Um, not many students actually can understand philosophy, although um, so it's very difficult for me to in a way um, preach propagate that philosophy is important because it makes you think. Because they feel it's too heavy. And I do agree because if you study philosophy with a big P, it's very heavy. But philosophy for children program is very good because it teaches you, um, in a way, it teaches you about philosophical concepts, but doing it in a very natural way. So I think this is one of the best way for us to actually not just uh, teach thinking, but also in a way to let people understand how important it is philosophy is and why it is important that everyone is actually philosophizing without them realizing it. So through this program, I feel that um, we can actually help students and teachers um, 
to be more acutely aware of their thoughts, you know, of 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 thinking that is actually important for them to think. Um, so this is one of the reason why um, the program is important. Um, and like Prof. Osnani's uh, similar experience with the training that we did and also with the practices that we have with the students and teachers, um, it's not easy for Malaysian teachers especially um, to teach thinking and going through this program with us, it changed their, uh, the way they teach. And this is not, it's not easy because they are very used to top-down curriculum. You know, basically, they just deliver the syllabus. They cover the syllabus, right? Uh, and they don't, won't do much with regard to thinking, teaching students to think. They will basically talk a lot and they don't allow students to speak or even ask questions sometimes. Asking questions is when they want students to ask questions that they don't understand. Not asking to, you know, to deepen or to probe. So uh, when teachers go through this program, we can see good changes. The teachers become more empowered. You know, they search for materials by themselves, you know, because they have to find materials that are relevant to the topic. So they become more independent, more active in that sense. Um, for the students, um, we can see a lot of changes. They enjoy, like Professor Sani mentioned, because all this while they have never been given a chance to ask or to speak. So this is a time where they speak. And I observe students, especially the primary school students. Um, if before this, they are required to just sit down, be quiet and listen to teacher. Now they can speak. And I can see that they're very, they're enjoying it. So this is one of the good things about this program. I just want to add a little bit more in terms of uh, the assignment to see the changes, okay? Uh, one, uh, we, we observe that through our research, for example, if you are a language teacher using this method, the teachers inform us that the students now write longer essay than they used to. Mm. <laughs> After going through this program, they write longer essays and uh, because they have more ideas after they listen to their, to their uh, dialogue and discussion in the class. For this, the teacher was telling us that they were the one who gave them the points to write in the body part of the essay, you know. But yeah. now, they don't have to do that because the students discuss among themselves, ask questions, and they realize that they have so many ideas. So I think the most important thing is this program generate ideas for students. And they, they began to see that Another thing is they began to see that there are differences of points of views. And uh, and then when they see the differences in point of views, okay, uh, they might agree that their friend's opinion is stronger than theirs. So they will drop their ideas and adopt the new the new ideas. So this is where it also creates that open-minded spirit. Okay. To do hmm. this, you have to be open-minded, right? So it creates that spirit. The other thing is that uh, the teacher also told us that. Uh, they are not worried for the student when they sit for their oral exam, you know, oral language exam. In Malaysia, there is the oral language exam for English and also for the national language and their mother tongue language. So, so the, the teachers now say they don't have any worry anymore as they used to because the students are able to speak and they're confident in speaking. So that's another thing in, the, in terms of the curriculum improvement. Okay, and then uh, uh, as I said, they have more questions. And then uh, in the science class, the teacher told me that 
the student don't sleep anymore because you see in, in in this science class it's the teacher who did the experiment and the student only wash and she also did not use the ikmah pedagogy before this but after we taught her to use the philosophical inquiry approach she asked the student for every steps <laughs> what to do next and so on okay so in that case the student cannot sleep because she can ask them at any time so that's why they, they she said that the student don't sleep anymore in the class and they enjoyed it okay and finally i think for university student which we use this approach okay uh, they can write reviews uh, reviews uh, of letters or articles short articles uh, from the newspaper or from academic article and they do it better now in fact uh, they can write analytical essay uh, much better i knew this because they will come at the end and tell me i learned a lot from your class on writing so so this is uh, this is with regard to the uh, university student hmm so i think that this is uh, what uh, assignments that we gave and what changes it happens okay it's great to see that students have not only improved their thinking skills but also on their academic performance so you've also compared the difference between students in elementary school and in the universities so how did you adapt different instructions for students at different grades well uh this program depends very much on the stimulus material okay so and the and the level of discussion so for the for the younger grades uh, we give them simpler much simpler material okay that is suitable for and also the stories they are suitable for their levels uh, for example uh, for the primary school i would have chosen some stories on what happened to the to the zoo when when they visited the zoo okay <laughs> or when they are in their classroom there's a problem of uh, uh, looking for a seat to sit and they have they have uh, uh, they rush for the same seat and then there's problem or in the canteen they have problem uh, buying food because in the queue some people tend to to cut the queue so i mean that is more relevant for the primary kids okay but for the secondary children uh i will use stories that is more relevant to their life for example we talk about bullying smoking you know, stories on that on that teams you know bully, uh, student being bullied and then there is smoking and then for the girls uh, about i mean uh, we also talk about the uh, for the muslim girls the head cover you know we want them to understand why they are putting head cover i mean why we muslim are putting head cover so we give story that were will provoke them to think why they are doing this because some of them are doing this just because they're following <coughs> the instruction from their parents or their teachers you know at this age you must wear but they don't know the rationale behind wearing it so if you don't know the rationale is if you are uh, you encounter some difficulty uh, you just throw it away you know <laughs> because you don't understand the the rationale so we give them that kind of stories uh to differentiate but at the university level where i used to teach uh, issues and in education i would give them uh letters to editors or reports in newspaper because they are short okay and can be discussed quickly so they ask them to read and then pinpoint you know all the assumptions that they can see what's wrong with the assumptions you know and uh what what do you think was the was the intention of the writer 
So find the flaws. What are the strengths and the weaknesses? And how will you improve it? So that, that way they learn to be critical, right? Because you see what, what's wrong with the, the arguments of the writer and so on. So for the university student, I would, uh, would uh, use more on opinion, opinionated articles. Because somebody will put something and it is uh, reasoning, right? And then they will have to write their own letters to the editor. So some of them, at the end of it, they even put their letter to the editor, to the, to the paper. I told them, good, send this to the uh, paper. <laughs> it got published. So at least it's motivating them to, to, to be critical and to, to, be, to realize that writing is not that difficult if it is uh, argumentative uh, or unethical writing, not uh, literary writing, okay? So this is how you differentiate. I differentiate the level. And then with regards to discussion, sometimes, for example, I used to have a Lipman's article in his uh, uh, novel Pixie. Uh, I used that same article for the for the for two levels, secondary and university. You'd be surprised, and even for adults, okay, the supposed graduate students, uh, you'd be you'd be uh, uh, surprised because some of the students at the bachelor degree think just like the secondary school student, you know. <laughs> you know? Because, for example, if you, the the primary the secondary school student say that because they were forbidden to allow anyone to come in in their house, okay. So when when I ask the student, the secondary student say, "I will call my mother," and I said, "The mother switch off the phone. I will call my father." Your father also switch off the phones. What do you do? Ah, and then he gave up. He doesn't know how to answer. So when I was doing this with the bachelor uh, undergraduate student, they said give the same thing. That's very. I said that is very shocking. You are just thinking like the secondary school student. <laughs> so that's where uh, the same uh, material can evoke different kind of reactions or responses from the student depending on the level. And you are supposed to raise their level. So that is that is the. That's the good of this. And I even tried with parents. You know, when I tried with parents, they will say that uh, uh, they have two children there. One sh- children is good because she's obedient. That was at the beginning when I asked them, who do you think among these two children uh, would you like to have as your children, as your child? They said children A. Why? Because she's obedient. Okay? Because the other one uh, insists that the sister allowed her friends to come in because they are not uh, they are they are they are safe okay for example but the the dot the dot the other child said that no because the mom said literally she said literally nobody enters the house okay when parents are not home so when I ask the parents and after I discuss in between at the end I ask them again so now who would you like to have for our children they want the other child why because she can think the spirit behind the rules <laughs> so you see it is. Interesting when the same article can give different reactions to different groups, but you, you know that your target is to say that this child is a thinking one and the other one is a literalist. Okay, so so, <laughs> so this is what I mean by you can uh, through the materials and also through your your interaction with them as the facilitator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. So now let's get back to to the outcomes that you just mentioned. We also wondering that how did you evaluate the outcome of the students? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think um, um, with regard to the programs, we have actually different target set. I mean, um, there are studies that we had done where we look at the um, 
changes or increase in the thinking skills, right? Um, there have been also studies that we had done that we look at um, their communication skills, their self-confidence level, okay? Um, and there have also been studies like, for instance, um, most of the studies that we had done in my case especially um, is through the students' research or dissertation, apart from the our own evaluation of the programs that we did with the schools, right? So um, all these studies are focusing on different targets and outcomes. So some of the things that we have discovered is that the, the program does not just um, concentrate on thinking skills per se, you know? Um, it also look at other aspects of the development of the individual of the student like self-confidence communication skills and especially post-social behavior so some other things that we we can find is that um when we talk about uh, the philosophy of uh, the HIMA program it basically help to promote the cognitive behaviors that we see among the students for instance um, when we talk about um um, tolerance, respect, you know, when you exchange views and you respect other people's views, right, even though you disagree with them. And talking about being more open-minded, they are more able to um, uh, change their views when they listen to others, right? Um, and also most of these are pro-social behavior that I can see, especially empathy, uh, more understanding, uh, they become more caring in that sense. So these are some of the... Um, targets that we, or the outcomes that we have seen through the different studies that our students have conducted. Um, maybe, Prof, you want to add on to that? Yeah, maybe Maybe the I just said that uh, one of the things that we, we our students, uh, if we talk about measurement, something that they can measure very fast, I mean, quantitatively, what's the level of questioning? Because here in Malaysia, they talk about higher order thinking skill and lower order thinking skill. So uh, for high order thinking skill, they will use the Bloom taxonomy. And when they use the Bloom's taxonomy, then they they will categorize the question that were raised belongs to which uh, category. So they have managed to sort of uh, draw the students to raise more higher order thinking skills questions compared to and, and leaving behind the lower order thinking uh, skill question because that also is what is... Uh, 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 in the policy of the ministry to, to have higher order thinking skill. So that is one of the things that we ask our students to measure. And that is measurable. <laughs> it's easy, easy to measure based on Bloom's taxonomy. But other things like uh, the scope of questioning, uh, we also use like Quranic stories for Islamic education. We have students having uh, used the stories in the Quran. And then uh, they will ask the Student to raise questions, and again, uh, they they have trained the students sort of uh, to go for higher order thinking skill. Sometimes, sometimes the question that the student raise uh, are amazing because we never thought of it as adults when we read the Quran. For example, there's a there's a story in the Quran about uh, about uh, elephant. Uh, this uh, this this army of elephants uh, went. to to Makkah to destroy, uh, headed by someone from Ethiopia, Abyssinia, okay, to destroy the 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 Kaaba in Makkah, you know, the black stone, the big black uh, structure in in center of the mosque, uh, to destroy it because he wants people to move and shift the attention to what he built in 
in Ethiopia. And then uh, as a result of that, uh, God sent down a bird with very fiery stone that kills the elephant, you know. So one of the questions that was raised by the student was, why did God send the birds and not other animals? I was shocked when I heard that <laughs> because I never thought about that, you know. So when they ask why birds and not other animals that kill the elephant, okay, through the fiery stone, then there was a long discussion about why they think that the bird is the best choice. So, so I think this is something that if they reflect upon what we wanted them to reflect upon, they will never forget this this particular verse, you know, uh, chapter. So beside that, they also have uh, attitudes to Islamic education. I think that's a bit measurable on a lighter scale. Uh, for example, uh, after going through this program, they will measure the students' attitudes to Islamic education and the, and especially the, the approach. Okay, and I guess uh, I think one of the uh, research was on how uh, using this pedagogy and stories that have uh, Islamic values. Okay, rather than because. This is a course on teaching English, okay? And then they were using Islamic stories, okay? So they they, they noticed that the motivation is higher because the student can relate to the to the story. So this is uh, one. And another one there is on moral education. For moral education, this is uh, taken by non-Muslim students. So uh, what the researcher did was to just uh, look at the, at the values being uh, uh, that is subscribed to in the curriculum and create her own stories and then from there she discuss. So it's not only confined to Muslim student, but we also use it for for non-Muslim student. I mean, this approach can be used in any subject. I would say. So uh, the evaluation is more on using if it is measurable, we can use some instrument. We use it. Otherwise, it's qualitative. Let me ask just about what you said. So it sounds as though you, so do you have Muslim and also non-Muslim students in this um, class, in this Hikmah pedagogy, or is it only just for um, teaching Islamic values? For, since we, hmm. we use it for various subjects, okay, in the Malaysian school system, uh, for religious education, hmm. there is, for, for Muslim, there is the Islamic studies education. That is for Muslim only, and at the same time, when Muslim are having are having their Islamic studies education, the non-Muslim sit in another class hmm. of the same duration, in what we call moral education. Okay, so uh, so for those in Islamic hmm. studies education, we can of course use the Quran, because that is their, their their scripture, right? But for the moral education, we don't use the Islamic uh, text. It's more hmm. it's it's more like teaching. In America, <laughs> so it's uh, uh, although they can they can quote from their from their books if they they want to do so. But but in classes, I like say mm. in other classes like let's say geography or history or, or English, they'll be sitting together. So if, if we apply this method in English language class, uh, it is uh, a, 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 what they call this. The material is what they call. Uh, pleasant to all of them, Not, nothing uh, inclines to Islam. But when they, if the student hmm. themselves in the discussion, if they are Muslim, they mention about Islam, then we have to, we have to, uh, we have to explore further, you know, we have to probe further. 
So so that is how the schools are arranged in Malaysia. I know like there's something about Canada mm. uh, that is also similar yeah. where you have the French, uh, Quebecs, right? And the others. And then you learn in, in French. I was wondering whether Malaysia can learn something from you there because in Malaysia, in the primary school, we have primary school, we separate the students because some go to the Chinese vernacular school, some goes to the Indian vernacular school, and, and the rest will go to the uh, premier national school, but mostly Malays. And uh, 50% of the Indians will go to the premier uh, Malay stream or, or Malay instruction, language, instru- language of instruction, national school. But almost 90% of the Chinese will attend the Chinese primary school. And 50% of the Indians will attend the Indian uh, vernacular school. It's only in the secondary school there's there's no more there's no more uh, separation by uh, vernacular school. All have to go to the premier Malay language instruction uh, school. So that's the system in, in in Malaysia. Well, so to get back to the Hikma pedagogy, though, if I ask you, then is that something that is because the, the articles I read, I guess they were in the Islamic studies class. You were talking about it, but are you saying that you use this because it's it's built on the philosophy of children sort of model, right? It's when you when you're not in an Islamic like mm-hmm. context, where mm-hmm. I saw that you had written your own stories and you had sort of developed your own sort of like materials, which I thought was really amazing. And if you're if you're not in the Islamic context, then you just use the regular like philosophy for children. We we use okay the the mm-hmm. story that. Uh, we will use we can use Lipman story or any story oh, that yeah. uh, we create ourselves, you know. So so we can create. So in fact, in our training program for teachers, sometimes we teach them how to uh, modify the text that is in their textbook mm. because ours is not a standalone program. If it's standalone, we have to have our own uh, uh, books and syllabus, right? But but in Malaysia, it's really difficult to have standalone because the 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 timetable is already packed. You know, it's already full. So we suggested to them to infuse it. By infusion, we mean that suppose they are teaching language, there is a they already have a textbook and they already have uh, the syllabus to cover. So what we change, tell them, and most of the stories are uh, what we call these uh, like essay form. You know, it's not story form. So we would tell them to let's say. Convert the story. I remember uh, we had a story of the turtle, turtle laying the egg in Trangganu, and they want to preserve the the conservation of the turtle's egg. Okay, so everything was written in very uh, uh, factual form. So I told the teacher, we told the teacher, okay, you convert that into a story form. So you you create some some people in the story, and they managed to do this. So so in that in that sense. It becomes more interesting for the student reading the stories than just reading the the factual uh, original uh, text, you know. So, so the the story is something that uh, they can create, or the story that I created, especially for Mira, is is most for all. But for the secondary story, I I had intention of uh, for for Islamic education class. So 
so we have stu- uh, as I said just now one of my st- uh, student because now she's a lecturer she did on moral education so she used the moral education text which is a Malaysian text meant for all the non-Muslim and she she will transform some of them into stories oh I see well that's very interesting uh, so for Islamic, Islamic studies it's different because we want them to really look at the Quran <laughs> We know that Hikmah Pedagogy is adapted from the Philosophy for Children program by Matthew Lipman. So why did you choose to use the community of inquiry or Philosophy for Children method to achieve these outcomes? One of the reasons why I chose it, because it is based on philosophical inquiry and dialogue, where it allows students, to me, to be active in giving their views, you know, and in, 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 in arguing uh, others views as well secondly uh, this method involves a small community uh, so it's not uh, it's not teacher giving the conventional lecture uh, echo eh? mm-hmm. so secondly uh, because it involves a community there is uh, there's interpersonal uh, relationship and also uh, social effects of this method uh, uh, so this is uh, this is good for education uh, to me because students student will get to know one another and enjoy it as well. And the third reason is the dialogue is important because uh, to me, uh, especially living in a multi-racial and multi-faith society, dialogue is important whenever we want to resolve uh, any conflict. So using this program will train I think the students on how to have dialogue rather than using physical pause as they grow into maturity and adult on how to resolve it uh, by by discussing it. And uh, philosophy also aims to teach for truth and wisdom. And this is, uh, uh, this is what our, our Islamic religion is all about also. It's great to hear that Philosophy for Children method did a great job in building the community and get students involved in the dialogue. We're also curious about how you integrate religious value into the Leifman's approach. Okay, uh, we integrate the religious and ethics values uh, through writing and publishing our own stories to use in the Leifman uh, pedagogy classes. For example, I publish uh, two books. Uh, one is Mira for the primary school and Sarah for the secondary school. We also have Nasruddin Hoja book and a manual to go Mira. Uh, for example, as I told you earlier, uh, Mira is for the primary school. So the ideas there is basically general ethical values. For example, uh, queuing. Uh, queuing uh, and and not fighting uh, and also uh, let's say if they go to the zoo what they see what they saw in the zoo and uh, so it's more it's more general values okay but for the for the uh, sara the secondary school uh, this is more uh, for the islamic values whereby for example they discuss so they will discuss why why that verse come about and is it really true? So they will give their arguments and their experiences. Uh, 
and also as I told just now, they they also had a story on the head cover. So these are uh, how we integrate it into the into the uh, P4C or Hikmah pedagogy. Maybe just now I think uh, uh, Michelle asked about uh, why uh, we use Hikmah. Okay. I just shared my experience because before this we did not use sigma we call it philosophical inquiry okay of uh, philosophy but during one of my session with the teachers uh, in a, a meeting that is uh, arranged by the state education department for innovative uh, ideas okay uh, one of the teacher and these are islamic religious teachers one of the ustas or teachers uh, raised the question that what we are doing will lead to uh, children going astray from the Islamic uh, religion. Okay, so uh, I told him that is a very strong allegation because we are not going to let children children astray. What we are intending to do is to raise their level of critical and creative thinking uh, because we are very far down in contrast to many other many other civilizations presently. So that is why we uh, adopt because hikmah is the word used in the Quran, and it means wisdom, and and it has very positive connotation. And even in the old days, in the early days when the Muslim took philosophy, they call it uh, also uh, the people who are engaged in wisdom ukama from the word hakim or hikmah. So it has a very positive connotation among the among the Muslims. So that's how uh, Ikhma came to be. Well, I thought, I'll just jump in and say, I thought you had the beginning, or maybe even the whole answer, in saying that Ikhma being something that is valued uh, you know, in the history of Islam among philosophers, uh, and you're interested also in philosophy. Yeah, I agree what Suhaira says. Islamic studies is given uh, uh, many hours in the, in the school syllabus uh, in a week. In fact, uh, is given long hours, a long period, like the teaching of English or language, you know, and mathematics. So, but it's not uh, effective in that sense because you don't see the outcome. It's very information-based rather than transformative-based. So we want to transform students after they, uh, because if we, if we continue with the way it is done, you won't get the, the what do you call this, the transformation in terms of sciences and so on, because what draws, motivates the earlier earlier scientists was basically the understanding of the Quran. So if they not understand the Quran, will continue with the Muslim in in their in their in their uh, situation today. You know, so it's such a waste. So that's the reason why uh, we thought that. Uh, if the past, the Quran was able to generate that uh, enthusiasm towards sciences, you know, not just religion, sciences, uh, and the Quran is still with us today, so why can't it do the same thing? I mean, I mean there are other factors, but this is the ma- major factor because if I studied uh, philosophy of science, the historian of science, Josh Sutton, said that how can you understand the uh, sciences without its gravitation about the Quran. So even he understood that. <laughs> so that's why I thought that there must be something more. And we are not getting that because we don't we don't really reflect about it. Does that answer 
<laughs> yeah, that's a great answer. Thank you. So we know that Malaysia has a diversity of ethnicities and religions. So during your um, the curriculum, did you meet any did you meet any specific challenges during uh, uh, while conducting this program? Um, well, uh, there are some minor problems, not major, we say. For example, uh, in the secondary school, because we used uh, the Malay language as the national language, some of the non-Malay students, they are weak in the language. So when they are weak in the language, they cannot express themselves uh, very well. However, uh, after a few sessions of this, we begin to see that they are forthcoming. Uh, because we encourage them to speak, so so this program to me is very good in terms of uh, speaking a language. So if you want them to be good in English, you teach in English because it will allow them to speak the language. Because a language without speaking is dead, you know. So so uh, so, but they improve. Of course, there are some exceptional students, and they can even become facilitator, helping the teachers uh, when they're so good. Okay. So this is one of the issue. The other issue that uh, that comes about is that uh, they might not know each other's culture, so they might not understand that they are trading on others' culture. For example, uh, I, I remember the incidents in the school where the teachers uh, uh, punished the, the Indian students who had long hair. Okay, and and this upset the student very much. Because actually they were preparing uh, for their celebration, in which during the celebration they will be cutting the cutting the hair. So this is uh, uh, because of the the teacher who is a Muslim doesn't know the culture of the Hindus or the religious uh, religion religious precepts of the Hindu. So they cause this problem. So uh, this is where actually if there are discussion, it will help in understanding each other, and so. So if you don't understand this, this will be problem because of uh, misunderstanding of the, the cultural values. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, finally, I think uh, aside from that, there is not much problem with language, okay, and culture. And the example, another example that I had was one student of mine was teaching in a school. It's a Chinese school, okay, national Chinese school, and he was teaching history. And he was using this method to discuss that the non-Malays were immigrant during the, the colonial English British colonial period, and being in this class, you have to discuss frankly, right? So he was open enough, he listened, but the students were very upset by what he said, so they reported him to the principal. <laughs> so he was he had some trouble. So there are there are challenges, especially when we are talking about uh, racial. Religious, we have to be very uh, sensitive to our audience. I think Swahili has a different experience, but that is some experience that I had. Otherwise, uh, there is no. If you don't tread into their uh, religious, uh, then I think there's there's not much of a problem. Is there a certain ways that you um, choose to cope with this successfully? Well, I guess that's where the, uh, we have to tell the teachers that they have to be. More wary and cautious when they are teaching in a, a multicultural, multi-faith setting, you know. Uh, but uh, that is the only case that I I had encountered. Uh, but in in other other situation, I don't 
have any problem, I think. So if they have that problem, they have to settle it. Students understand uh, what the method is all about. Okay. Otherwise, they cannot open the student's mind as well. If they are very, very, if they are too, too cautious, they cannot open up the student's minds as well. <laughs> so, so, but just they have, they have to be aware that it doesn't go outside of the classroom. That's the main thing. Yeah. Like this might be yeah. a related question. It comes a little later in our thing, but are you, do you ever have the problem of students who might have the, their own serious issues? Like, for example, if they've suffered abuse at home or if they're just very anxious or depressed or something like that. Mm-hmm. And these issues that you bring up uh, that relate to, I guess, um, you know, mm-hmm. these moral, moral dilemmas, like if it triggers something in them, is this something that you need to be like concerned about or has it ever happened? And what, what could you do in, if, if that were to happen? You're talking about, this is uh, special children? Yeah, special children, for example. So our problem is we don't deal directly with the students because we train teachers and they are the ones who deal with the students. So, but as far as I know, they don't have any special children in in the the school because in Malaysia, uh, not many schools have uh, catered for special children. There are some... uh, Selective schools, selected schools, okay? Oh, I uh, see. But, but I know that if they have uh, problems of discipline and so on, one school that was applying this method, uh, the teacher told me that she used to, uh, the pedagogy to tackle the discipline problem where she wrote she wrote a story because they, they had discipline problems. She wrote a story related to the problem. Then, and then they together read as a community of inquiry. And then they would discuss the issue, and then uh, if she was she was able to uh, make them come to a conclusion about the the the, the ills uh, that that led to that uh, behavioral problems, and then if they agreed on that, and she said that okay, if you agree that this is bad, then we all should stop doing it because uh, philosophy is not just talking about it, but it's putting into action. So she said that that that. Uh, for that, she was successful because the student agreed that it's bad, and then from then on, they're not supposed to be doing it. So I thought that was very smart. Okay, uh, but uh, the school do not impose any any uh, problem, uh, any uh, what do you call this uh, rules regarding to special children. But we don't, we just don't deal with it. I think. Well, that was such a great example. Did, did you train the teachers for those types of things? Is that do you have any special training that you that you provide for these teachers then? Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we do the research with any teachers or even with the school, uh, we train the teachers. We have a we have a training session for the teachers where we train them for about two days, uh, with the theory and then the the, the practice. And then uh, sometimes it is our research. We go to the school. And do a demonstration with their students on how to mm. conduct it, and then we will ask them to teach it, and then we will come and observe them uh, after a few weeks to see whether they are on the right track. And then, if we feel that they have they have gotten the method, then we will allow them to go on. And normally, if it, if it's our research, we take about six months to complete. So yes, we train them. Definitely, they have to be trained. And also, you're doing all the training, but is there 
once like it seems like it'd be difficult to do that for every school like when once oh. you have some trained teachers do they train other teachers or is it just only sort of you're the yeah. people who are doing yeah. all the training that, that is the that is the issue <laughs> yeah. in fact uh, uh, our 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 scope is very small because we only those who train uh, will, will do it right and even if they mm. they train with us sometimes when they go back to the school they cannot employ it because uh, of the school policy in terms of they have a they have a clear method on to, uh, to use for example uh, just to share with you one of the teacher trainer i mean the teacher that applied employed this method uh, yes. she was uh, uh, sort of uh, reprimanded by the head of the subject matter because she was doing a method that is not uh, similar to the rest in the school so this is a problem. For example, another occasion, one of the teacher was teaching, and then the school inspector came, and she was using this method. And, and in this method, students don't stand up to answer to 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 answer question or to give question or to discuss. So the inspector was saying, "Why are you not teaching the student to stand up when they speak?" No. So so you see, this is uh, some challenges that teachers have to face. I was telling them if I were if I were you, I would tell the I would tell the inspector, do you stand up when you speak in a meeting? <laughs> I mean, you don't stand up when you speak in a meeting, do you? So, anyway, since they don't understand, that, that is the difficulty. And uh, we've been trying to to propose to the ministry so that uh, they can see for themselves and let's say uh, encourage the teachers to be trained. But uh, until now, we have not been able to obtain that. Uh, that support from the ministry is more on our our side. So what we uh, the people that come most for training are basically people from in the school that request for training is basically the the private schools. They are the one that request for training. And when they ask for training, we we told them we prefer the whole school training rather than you send three teachers to the training. That's another program. We have whole school training, or we have. Uh, Training that we organize, we advertise, we promote, and some people come. You know, uh, some schools send their uh, one or two teachers. So, uh, because in the second option where we train one or two teachers from different schools, we don't know whether when they go back they will be employing it because that it depends on the ambience, on the climate of the school, whether they got the support or not. But if we go to the whole school, then we know that at least. The principal is supportive, and the principal will sort of uh, encourage them to use it even after that. So that's a difference. But we, uh, we have approached the ministry if we if they allow us to train, but uh, I don't think they 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 don't have it anymore, even in service, you know. And uh, what say is no. But I think I think training is very necessary, very crucial. So for the teacher training, or uh, in addition to the teacher training, what form of support or resources did you need to launch this program? Of course, we 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 have to have a center, and I think in terms of that, the university is very supportive. Uh, when I sought their permission to set up a center for, at first was center for philosophical inquiry education, uh, they they allowed it to be set up in a center. So all we need is a small office, and then to use the the 
the rooms rooms in the in the faculty when they were whenever there is training and and of course we need some uh, seed money to start off the ball rolling you know we had uh, we have to have uh, administrative staff but we we can't hire it permanently because we don't have the funding so what we did was we employ our graduate students who are interested because as they come and join us they can also be trained so so this is a win-win situation for them so that's uh, uh so at first we have some great uh, seed money from a research grant that we propose and after that we were on our own uh, through some of the income that we earn from uh, giving the training and also our research that we are doing so that is how we we, we survive so i would say i would say that uh, we have survived from 2006 <laughs> until now and uh, it's much better known now than it was at the beginning so and we also have prepared uh, what we call uh, younger lecturers okay and 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 they have now we have spread our wings uh, because we also uh, we also had students phd students coming from other universities with us so now they are in different campuses in the country mm-hmm. so i think uh, i think uh, we started small but it's growing and in fact we have been able to with this pandemic okay uh, where you cannot train face to face we have been uh, training online mm-hmm. and because it's online even the opportunity to train some people from from uh, hong kong the islamic school hong kong and also islamic school teachers uh, in bangladesh that's remarkable so does it work as well teaching people uh, in an online environment does this hikma pedagogy yeah of course at first uh, at first when then before the pandemic okay i would say no my, my, michelle <laughs> i would say no because uh, uh, we had to face to face we had to have a deliberation discussion and and at, at that point of time the technology was not as advanced as it is with the pandemic what i mean by that is we didn't have google meet and zoom then i mean there was uh, either synchronous or asynchronous right and yet we cannot have people talking seeing all people at the same time but with the pandemic uh, we realized that there is google meet and zoom so what happened is that uh, in google meet and zoom we all the all the students or the participants are on on the screen okay so uh, we it's just like it's just like face to face except that now when they want to speak uh, uh, they have to raise their hand and we cannot see everyone uh, because there's only unless there is no nothing no sharing of screen then we can see everyone in the gallery but if there is sharing of screen when you want to write down the questions and when you want to discuss uh, the questions and so on then we only see a portion maybe one 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 fifth of the of the participant but uh, raising the question we employ uh, either they can write the questions on the chat box and then we will transfer it to the let's say a powerpoint screen so that then all of them can see the questions later on that's one way the other one is they use the what the jam box there is a Uh, uh, Google, Google, what do you call that? Google, Google bot, eh? where you can student can share the bots and write the question. So, so now is uh, is 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 very much like face to face, you know, 
except that of course you can't see everybody at the same time so that is the so i've tried it and it works uh, and and good thing is that with google meet and zoom we can record <laughs> so i can share the recording with you if you understand okay before we don't record but now with the google google meet and zoom we can record the whole proceeding well, that's great and it sounds like you can reach farther too like you said teach people in hong kong or yeah go to other other places mm-hmm. mostly the muslim teachers because they're interested to know how we employ in the islamic uh, for islamic education and you just mentioned that we have provided um, the teacher training for those programs. So for students who want to enroll in this program, do, do they need any backgrounds or training before uh, enrolling in, in this program? Um, for students, actually, when I, when, when I started the center in 2006, we, we had only a school holiday program, I call it, which still exists now. Whereby in school holiday program, we, we advertise for people who students are interested to join the program. The only uh, condition that I would set is that uh, the it depends on the language I would use. If the center use Malay language, we would tell them that we are looking for, this, this study will be conducted in Malay language. And, and when we conduct in English, say English language. So that uh, the basic thing is that they know how to speak in that language. So we had program before for uh, uh, K1, that is the, uh, we don't have it for, for K1, we have it for K2, that means grade, grade 3, grade 3, 4, 5 and 6, and second secondary level. Uh, so we have two, two each level. And that one we still conduct it today during the school holiday, so it's called school holiday program. And for them, we, we take about uh, half a day for five days, and uh, and students like it, okay. I think and most most actually most are children of the staff of the university. Uh, and then uh, if you are talking about uh, training, we don't give any condition. There is because if it's for adult, uh, it's just again the language. So if you're good in the language, we don't we don't uh, put any other condition. I think Dr. Suela, am I correct? There's no other condition, right? Mm-hmm. We're curious about the young children, like for, for those young children who might feel uh, hard to focus on the class, how did you get every student involved in the class dialogue? Oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. That's why I love this program. <laughs> because, you see, in the school holiday program, we have children coming from different places. They don't know each other, right? Unless we are in the same school, in the same class, they know each other. But here, they are coming from different schools and they don't know each other before. So definitely there are different kinds of children. Some are very uh, extrovert, some are introvert, some are very outspoken, some are very shy. So we have this combination of students. But the class is small. The class at most is about 15 students. Okay. So uh, what happened is that we have no problem with the, the confident, outspoken student. But we have problem, as I said, with the shy student who don't speak. So what we do is we... we, we Okay, uh, telling, uh, pointing the student to ask at least one question. You know, that is the breaking point. Because if they can start to, to ask a question and then to answer a question, uh, it's an achievement for them. So we realized that uh, after the basically the, the second day, the third day, they begin to ask questions. Even the, the shy student. 
And also here, you notice that the interpersonal, personal growth, interpersonal growth also. They, they, they born into friendship very fast because they are young children, okay? Uh, and uh, they born into friendship very fast and then they enjoy it. So what I realized was when I asked them questions after the program, a few of them that, uh, that and that confidence, okay, and not confident as well, ask them what did they like most. <coughs> One of the things that, that is common among all the students that answer the question is that they begin to see that there are, there are different points of views. There are different ways to look at a problem. <coughs> I think for me, if a student says this, uh, they are, let's say, in the sixth grade, or some of them are in the secondary one or two, okay? They say that they see that there are different ways to look at a question. To me, that's an achievement already. <coughs> because I see that that program has opened up their views, opened up their mind. And that's one of the one of the targets that I want to, <coughs> I want to achieve, opening up the mind of students. So this is, uh, this is why I, I say I, I love this program. Mm -hmm. So in this program, uh, we are uh, trying to teach students how to think and how to reflect uh, in order to cultivate students' wisdom. Have you ever heard about the mindfulness? Some people use mindfulness to help educate for wisdom. Is there anything that related to what you are doing? The Muslim, they pray five times a day, right? So, uh, so that is a form of contemplation or meditation already so uh, so in that sense uh, it's already built in the Islamic system okay the question now is whether the students are aware of it so this is what we said that whether it's meaningful or not meaningful most of them they do it because of course as a young child when you start doing this at the age of eight or nine because they are taught in school as as uh, what you the extract is you send us they do ablution they do fast uh <coughs> praying at which of nine they do not reflect and they're just doing it as a ritual right so that's okay in the beginning but then if they keep doing that for that reason uh fearing hell <laughs> and wanting to to enter heaven, then they are not getting the the objective of the of the praying. For example, that's why we give the the, the story prayers uh, prevent you from evil. So because they they have to reflect why do they pray. So that's why uh, uh, we have the meditation, but whether uh, they are made they have made it meaningful to them something that we want to uh, uh, motivate them to understand. So if mindfulness means that, then I think in our case, we already have it built in in the religion. But what we don't have is using the rational, the reasoning part. So we want to combine or unite the two modes of knowledge, okay? That is uh, the religious and also the the uh, rational, the right, the reasoning, the empirical. So, uh, so we, we consider that as 
as not a big issue to us, not a big problem, but how to employ employ it <coughs> well. We also have what we call zikir, zikir or supplication. So all this is there where the, when you pray, you you supplicate <coughs> conversation with God. So I think that really helps. Okay. In addition to mindfulness, we know that Islamic practice also have. Um, has an understanding about self-development and practices that lead to wisdom like the prayer or purification rituals. Do you think those uh, practices are needed to fully advocate for wisdom? Like you mentioned, say praying five times a day, <laughs> like all Muslims will do that. And isn't that something that helps lead people towards wisdom? How, how is that? Is that something that's necessary or is it something different than what you're trying to do with Hikmah Pedagogy? I, I guess this is where the definition of wisdom comes in, I guess. Uh, is wisdom in, in Islamic perspective. Uh, if asked what is wisdom, we say wisdom is uh, putting things in the right place, right? <laughs> Plato, similar to Plato. Wisdom is uh, to know the truth, then to do justice, to be able to put things in the proper place. But in Islam, wisdom is for... <clears throat> wisdom is something that we acquired, as you rightly asked, uh, from experience, from the home, from our, our classroom. I mean, from all our experiences, we get wisdom. Because we mistake and then we change. We correct ourselves from mistake, that's part of wisdom. But in Islam, wisdom is also something that is... Uh, uh, connected to God. Okay, so uh, if you uh, let's say purify yourself and make connection with God through your prayers, through your uh, uh, zikr, we call it, or invocations of Allah's names and reflection of His Quran, okay, and reflection over nature, over His creation. He says in the Quran that he gives wisdom to whomever he wills. And to those who have been given a lot of wisdom, I mean to those who have been given wisdom, they have been given a lot of goods. So in other words, uh, <coughs> some people have more wisdom than others. I think we agree with that. Some don't. Okay? And the scholars and the sages have more wisdom. From the Islamic context, you realize that many of these great scholars in the past, okay, like Al-Ghazali, Al-Farabi, uh, Ibn Sina, Averroes, Averroes, Ibn Rush, Abyssina, yeah? they all knew the Quran very much. In fact, they memorized the Quran. So from very young age, these people already got the connection and they studied the Quran. So in other words, it helped them in their development as they become, as we can see, they become great people, great scholars, great philosophers, scientists and so on. So there is there is this connection in the Islamic belief that if you are close to God, then you will get gifts from Him, and this gift of wisdom came in come in, in the form of ideas, right? We have people with great ideas, some people don't have great ideas. Great ideas. So this is this is a connection, Michelle, because uh, and and in the Quran also it says that uh, there is wisdom in the Quran. Itself. But 
that wisdom that if you look at it is uh, maybe it's religious in the sense that it tells you that if you are wise you will know that there is life after death there is afterlife or there is the year after and if you know that there is year after where life is more permanent and so on then you have to prepare for it so how do you prepare for it you have to be good in this world so that is uh, so so in that sense if you read the quran you can you can you can extract all this wisdom and and it will be your guide in your life so in that sense i would say that uh, wisdom is very much connected with what the muslim practices uh, are because god did not make all these practices for nothing there is something in it it's just that we have to discover it so i hope i answered the question so oh, yeah that's a great answer thank you <clears throat> so from your perspective that wisdom is different uh, among people So do you think a formal classroom education like this like the Hikma pedagogy is really going to educate for wisdom as compared with learning from life experience or um you think this something that is just born with Well uh all those uh, experiences are necessary mm-hmm. and they are even necessary in Hikma pedagogy itself because in Hikma pedagogy when we ask them for a reason for something uh This is where the creativity comes in because they have to think of what experience they have in their life to support whatever they are evocating or, or stating. So we realize that uh, for students to uh, defend their views, to justify their views, they have to find something to back them up, evidence, yeah, evidence based, and only this comes from their experience. So that so equal pedagogy is just recollecting gathering all these experiences in their life and making it meaningful to them. So then they see why how this experience is useful in their life. So that's why I see that equal pedagogy is not replacing those things but it is a way to organize those things. And uh, and and equal pedagogy will be used Uh, for their rational mind i mean intellect for the intellect for them to think about it the reflection the critical thinking the critical thinking comes into into the day so this is how hopefully that they will see uh, they will see differences of views when you have differences of views you have differences of ideas then they, that means there are alternatives so then they have to make a decision they have to choose which is the best decision then again they come they come the reflection critical thinking which one is the best decision because a says this b says this c says this they are different but they make sense can you synthesize it or is one the best so that the one they have to reflect and think so this is how i see uh, the connection uh, of my pedagogy for wisdom with all the experiences that is it provides a place to 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 reflect openly in public with your friends So this is what Socrates was doing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just that. <laughs> okay. You have just mentioned that uh, for those who are more connected with the God, are more gifted on wisdom. Uh, so mm-hmm. is it possible that someone is born to be close with God, have more wisdom and gifted? Uh, not necessarily. I, I mean, because you have to differentiate between the philosophers 
and the Sufis. <laughs> okay, I know. I, I know whether you know Sufis. Sufis mm-hmm. are, are the mystics. Yeah, I we think, heard a little yeah, bit about them. Uh, Sufis are <coughs> okay. The Sufis are people who wants to be close to God also, but they are more into the rituals, the practices, and then uh, and then. Uh, Chanting, right? chanting names of God and so on. They, they, <coughs> yes, they, they, they do practices that are more in terms of uh, prayers, okay, and and uh, invocations and supplications. Uh, they do night prayers and so on. Uh, but the the other groups, there are the theologians and the philosophers. They might be Sufis. But they're also very active in, in 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 thinking about nature, about the creation. So they are scientists as well, probably. Okay, so mm. uh, you 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 can see that the wisdom are going to be different for the different group. I think if the if the Sufis uh, they have wisdom on about probably if they are they are they are chosen by, by God. They will get the wisdom that's related to life, so they will know more about uh, purification of the soul. For example, not all of them will, will reach that level. God Allah, God also select. So, so maybe the most, the most, the one with the most purified soul, be closest to God. But if you are theologians, and 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 most theologians and philosophers, great theologians and philosophers in Muslim are also Sufis, because they practice the purification of the soul. Uh, that means uh, they 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 kill their their desires, you know, the appetites, their desires uh, for the world. Uh, they are humble ethically. They are humble, uh, just like some philosophers, uh, wisdom. But they also have wisdom that will guide you in theology also in philosophy unlike you if you're just a pure sufi okay so this is uh, how i see i see that that wisdom and the connection to god because different people if you are a, let's say if you are a businessman you're also a sufi in the sense that you are close to god god will give you more more wisdom in how to make money and maybe use money as well in this way <laughs> so so, so there are many kinds of, of wisdom, I would say. But people are wise; they they will lead uh, a life that is tranquil, you know, uh, good mental health, you know, <laughs> all the things that you you desire in terms of health and uh, mental uh, achievement and so on. I mean, that seems like really important what you're saying, but at the same time, maybe a very high aspiration. Like we hope. People yeah, there is there is for arrive. the adults <laughs> because you're asking for the adults, right? And and do you think that the sort of like the kind of wisdom education, you know, that we do in public schools, like, like what what is the value of that? Like, do you think that it helps lead people to that that kind of sort of wiser life, or what do you think is the value? The value of value uh, wisdom education. Well, yeah. I think that there, there, there is value in the sense that. Uh, we want them to be <coughs> wise at their level. That means they are able to make decision 
good decision at their level. So I think I think uh, it's not just academic, because uh, in life it's not just academic. Uh, academic is uh, it helps in academic of course, but uh, it's more for guiding one's life. For example, if you don't have wisdom, you get too many troubles because you make wrong decisions. For example, uh, in Malaysia there is drugs. So you become drug addicts if you you get into the wrong groups or you don't decide things well. So we want them to make decision uh, whether they <coughs> for their level whether they should go to this school at the other school. You know, uh, at least they can they can they can discuss with their parents. Uh, so wisdom uh, education, and then they will know that life is not just about academic achievement. I think that is that is the message of wisdom. Life is more than just that. So, so life has to be more meaningful. Why are you Why are you here? That's why philosophy comes in. Why are you here? What are you doing here? Where yeah. are you going? <laughs> okay. So uh, our education has emphasized so much on the cognitive domain and competition because our education system are more like a sorting machine. Okay, and we left the effective and the spiritual domain. So, because of this, some people are smart, but they ignore ethics. So we have smart crime, and some became drug addicts, and they do things uh, regarded uh, bad in religion. For example, mm-hmm. having premarital sex. Of course, it's okay for some society, but for the Muslim society, the purity of the lineage is very important. So that is considered uh, uh, bad. Okay. So how do we overcome this? Uh, Issues, huh? these illnesses. Well, we have religious and moral education in school, but these are not effectively taught. So that's why we do need wisdom education, not just academic achievement. For example, we need that we, we should see that religion is able to provide wisdom as as asserted in the Quran. But what is needed is a teaching method that, trans, that is transformative and not informative. So this is where the equal pedagogy comes in. Uh, also, if you encourage values across all the subject matters, that also will give them more wisdom. So, so I think I think uh, for that reason we still need wisdom education. I mean, I feel, uh, Socrates asked, "What is a good life?" Right. So uh, a good life is a life that is uh, a life of you can say doing the right things. For yourself and learning from your mistake if you make a mistake, okay. So, but uh, you are not harmful to other people. Wise person is not harm people, but they are beneficial to all people. So we have to. This is where the transformation. I mean, they have religion, but religion cannot transform them because they are not Sufis. <laughs> okay. So then we have to. Uh, you can transform. Or if they are Sufis, they are very much into their heart. <coughs> we have to also, we have to also complement their intellect. So it's heart and intellect. I see that you. I hope so. I hope I've answered the question. Oh yeah, well thank you very much. That was actually a wonderful way to end our interview. I think that's a, like a grand vision you have of what <laughs> education can accomplish, and uh, and you know hope we have for all of, all the students. Just thank you very much, Mike, for 
agreeing to this in such a long interview.